Hey everyone, before we kick off the show today, gotta tell you about our friends at La Terrain Watches. Time pieces to explore. Established in 2018, La Terrain Watches are built to tell your story with every moment in time captured on your wrist. Watches are built for the ambitious and hardworking because just like you, we never settle for less. They're water-resistant, suitable for everyday use, and crafted with timeless details. They have that Swiss elegance that you're used to in a watch without the Swiss price tag. And lots of rain watches are available for you as a Crunch Time Plays listener at la-tourainecom slash Crunch Time Plays. Make sure you use the code Crunch Time Plays at checkout and you'll automatically get a 10% off discount. That's lots of rain watches, time pieces to explore. It is time for another episode of Crunch Time Plays. Roll the intro, and here we go. It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode number five of Crunch Time Plays, and we're so delighted to be joined by Watch Fox 57's own Mike Yuba. What's up, man? How we doing, bud? Appreciate you having me on. Doing pretty good. I just wanted to, since it's basketball season, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Frank Martin and his squad. I know they've been very hit by COVID. They hadn't, hadn't been able to get any sort of momentum. Just what have you seen? Uh, just from you watching the games yourself and from being in the press conferences with Coach Martin? I think what I've seen first and foremost is just the team that has not been able to kind of find their rhythm. And what stinks about it is going into this year, COVID aside, I think a lot of us expected this team to be able to make a push for a tournament just because of the talent that they've had uh, on top of the the experience that they had at, at certain positions, especially at the guard position and being able to have a guy like A.J. Lawson back. So I think it's been disappointing, uh, to say the least. But at the same time, too, you know, when you do look at the situation that COVID has presented, I mean, show me a team in a Power 5 conference across the country right now that has missed the same number of games that South Carolina has because of it and show me what their records are. I don't know the answer off the top of my head, but I'll tell you this right now, I'd be shocked if any of those teams are having good seasons this year just because it's one of those things. If you're not able to get into a rhythm, it's going to be very difficult to be able to get things going, especially in the direction that South Carolina had envisioned them going. Um, but the inconsistencies, so, you know, it, 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 is, uh, it is a head-scratcher because you see them against a team like Florida, and then, you know, they have a night like they did against, uh, or should say an afternoon against Mississippi State, which just leaves you head-scratching. It's just like, you know, what does this team need to do to be able to find some type of consistency? Yeah, I know you mentioned consistency. I know um, one of the big things about Frank Martin is his system. It's very junior and senior kind of oriented. And this year set up perfectly for that uh, outside of the final four run. This is really the first time he's had a team filled with juniors and seniors on the squad. Just how big, how big of an impact do you think COVID has made on, on that team as far as Frank being able to implement his system the way he wants to? Well, I think first and foremost, you look at from a defensive standpoint, because we know that it all starts with defense for Frank Martin, right? So I think just talking to people that are close to the program, 
Uh, Frank won't really throw his players under the bus. Um, and that's just who he is. You know, he'll be honest, but he won't throw his players. He'll protect his players. Um, but I think you can just see that the players just aren't picking up, or especially earlier on in the season. I say earlier on, only just a couple of weeks ago, when you look at some of those losses, whether it was against Vanderbilt or going back to Auburn, um, giving up the type of points they did, you know, 90 plus and then the 100 plus game. I think more than anything, it starts with defense. And if you're not able to figure out what Frank Martin wants to do from a defensive standpoint and he has to simplify things, it makes things difficult from an offensive standpoint. We're seeing that with transition. And, you know, it it takes attitude. Um, It takes, you know, obviously effort. I mean, you could throw away all these, you know, throw around all these fancy, I wouldn't say fancy words, but all these cliche terms that you use when you're talking about playing defense. And that's what it comes down to in terms of being able to play defense with Frank Martin. So if you're not able to get that, it's going to affect other things. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And guys like, you know, uh, the, the um, Justin Maniahs of the world, Jermaine Kuznard, even A.J. Lawson to an extent, especially in some of these first half of games, they're just not getting into the type of rhythm that they need to from an offensive standpoint. But I think it all goes back to defense and not being able to get into that, that, that uh, building that rapport with the other guys in the court and just feeling comfortable first and foremost. Yeah, but I just want to talk about A.J. Lawson real quick. I know Frank has been – he's got a few guys in the NBA now from his from his tenure at South Carolina. He's got Sundarius Thornwell, P.J. Dozier, Chris Sylvia, and then uh, Dwayne Notice playing well in Canada and Mike Kutzar overseas. Just sticking with A.J. Lawson for a second, what kind of NBA prospect do you believe him to be? Well, I mean, you look at his length, right? You look at just his length in terms of being able to be a disruptor. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, and a lot of guys right now, especially like how teams are looking, a lot of guys are starting to kind of have that built in terms of being able to have that long wingspan. I think some people just naturally think, all right, he's a tall guy. Of course, he's going to have a naturally long wingspan. Well, there's some guys that have longer wingspans than other. Another guy that South Carolina fans know, and he mentioned him, is P.J. Dozier. Kind of the same built, a little bit different, of course, in terms of height, but same built in terms of just how how long his arm span is. I mean, it's just bigger than uh, what, what a height of that magnitude usually is. So um, I think that's where you start with AJ. I think the tricky thing with him is just being able to be consistent on offense. And this is a word that I'm going to continue to use, whether we're talking about defense as a team or, uh, you know, from, from a term, from an offensive standpoint, from individuals, consistency. And that's something that he struggled with. We saw just this past week against Mississippi state, he comes out, he doesn't make a field goal in the first half, really three points off from the free throw line. And then he goes off in the second half. He's able to make that beautiful three-pointer, the and one, you know, the four-point play. But it's just like, what what do you have to do to be able to be consistent? Because if you go to the NBA and you're not able to get shots to drop, they'll find someone that can. Um, the defensive side of it will help him. And I think that's what helps out a lot of guys that played under Frank Martin, that once they go to the pros, they're able to pick things up from a defensive standpoint, even though a lot of us look back and say, you know, there's really no defense played in the NBA, right? I mean, just especially until probably the playoffs. But if you can play some defense and you can get some buckets to drop, they will find a spot for you in the league. AJ just needs to be consistent with it. He just needs to be able to get these baskets. So it's, tr- it's tough right now because just like this team this year, I'm sure his draft stock has kind of been a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I know – when you look at guys like Thornwell and Dozier and Silva, those are guys that were excellent on the defensive end. And I think that's what you got to have on the NBA rosters, especially when it comes around to playoff time. And obviously when you get guys that have played in Frank Martin's system defensively, 
you're, you can spend a little bit t- more time working on the offensive side of their game. So mm-hmm. I think the defensive side is what makes them the most, um, you know, appealing to NBA teams. Yeah, and then and then the other thing too is just being able to, you know, have that mental toughness. Uh, you play for a guy like Frank Martin, you, you're going to be able to be prepared for a lot of things, not just on the court, but in life in, in, in general. And I think a lot of people, even people that are – ready to hit the panic button on Frank uh, would agree with that. So, you know, I, I think a lot of these guys that we've seen that have played for Frank, they've gone on to have uh, successful careers or they've been able to stick around for a while, even if it's not necessarily the statistics of a, of a great career. I mean, if you're able to stick around, there's a reason why you're being able to do that. And a guy like Chris Silva, I was just having this conversation with, with someone just the other day. I mean, I, I don't know if Silva's in the NBA right now, if he doesn't play for Frank. And the reason I say that is, is Frank challenged him in so many different ways. And, of course, this was a guy that, you know, didn't have much of a basketball background prior to getting to South Carolina. He, you know, he, he learned the game uh, much later in life, and he was still learning it at South Carolina, and that's one of the reasons why he had so much uh, trouble with, with being able just to stay on the court. He got into foul trouble a lot because of it. But I think being able to learn from a guy like Frank just made him tougher and I hope that a guy like Lawson or whoever's on this roster that has aspirations of playing in the NBA or professionally overseas, they're able to take that with them because I think it's extremely beneficial, especially as we've seen from the guys that have come through this program before. Yeah, I agree. I just want to talk about the the future of Frank Martin real quick. I know a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of disgruntled fans out there. But it seems like the, the, fa- the pulse of the fan base is on a game-by-game game basis right now with Frank. Just want to get your thoughts on a lot of people I know have said that that he may, you know, step away for maybe some medical reasons. He's had COVID. He's been affected pretty hard with that. Just what kind of what kind of future do you see for him? I mean, I, I assume he's going to be back next year. I mean, this season is taking a toll on him in a lot of different ways, whether you want to talk about from a personal standpoint with his health. Uh, going through COVID twice, I mean, I think people can just see it on his face. I mean, just, he just doesn't look like the same person. And he mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that if he had to grade himself on a scale of 1 to 10, this is the second time coming off COVID, that he would rate himself at 6. And if there wasn't uh, this obligation that he felt towards his team or the university, that he would have opted out and just try to get himself healthy. So I think you look at that, number one. Uh, number two, you just look at uh, what's going on with, with his players and having to be prepared to, for this season. I mean, getting tested every other day, not even to see, you know, make sure that they're healthy, but just to make sure that they can play. I mean, this is just the protocols that they're going through. Um, I think that's wearing on them. Everything that's going on with Alonzo Frank uh, and, and not knowing exactly what that, that medical condition is or uh, those medical issues are right now in terms of being on the outside you know, how serious that could be and how much of a toll that's taking on him because he's like a father to a lot of these other these uh, players on this team. And then you look at just what's going on from a personal uh, standpoint. He's lost a lot of people, personal standpoint, outside of his health. Um, how many people he's lost because of COVID. He mentioned that today. Um, and not just COVID, but just people that have passed away in the last year. Um, you know, you look at um, Pedro Gomez, you know, passing away and him having a connection with, with Pedro during their time in Miami. And, you know, I think some people look at this and they're going to be like, well, this is stuff that everyone has to deal with on a day-to-day basis, right? Especially this past year. Yes, but at the same time, too, um, it can take a lot out of you. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be like, all right, you know, how are you performing uh, at your sales job or marketing job or you're in the classroom, you know, with all this stuff going on? 
but I'm sure it, uh, you know, some people have kind of took bumps, you know, that's just part of life. Right. So, um, I think this year, uh, and Frank just talked about it. It has been more. It's been a more. It's been unique in ways that it can't prepare you. You can't be prepared to coach this kind of stuff when you have this many unique uh, things, challenges being thrown at you. So, um, I think if Frank's able to get back and healthy for next season, and he's able to kind of just decompress and reflect, I think he'll be back out here ready to go next year and being his old self. But I'm sure uh, it's going to be a challenge to be able to see, you know, the Frank Martin that we're all accustomed to seeing on the sideline this year, just because there's just so much going on. And, you know, basketball is not necessarily at the forefront for him. And uh, I, I think I think if, it, if there's ever been a time to give someone a pass on it, it would be right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think he definitely deserves a pass when you look at all the like you said, all the personal things he's got going on in his life. It was really awesome to hear. Uh, his relationship with Pedro Gomez uh, during his press conference today, I thought that was really – it was kind of heartwarming for me just to kind of sit there and listen to it. Just uh, turning the page to women's basketball here real quick, and then we'll get into some football. But um, just your thoughts on the women's basketball team as a whole and how how deep of a run do you think they can make? Are they Final Four good or national championship good? Well, I'm excited about this team because I think they're clicking at the right time. And I know we're taping this as this UConn, South Carolina game goes on. So that's why I keep looking down on my phone to try to get some updates. Because as soon as we're done doing this, I'm going to be turning on FS1 to watch it. Um, But I I think more than anything, whether they win tonight or they lose, I think what we're seeing from this team is, especially after that North Carolina state loss, is a team that's coming together. Because even though they they have so much talent that returned back from last year's team, it's just different when you don't have someone like Ty Harris back out there, when you don't have someone like Kiki Herbert Harrigan, two two females that know what it takes to win a national championship. And unfortunately, last season got cut short. Um, but I think they were able to teach this 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 young young but talented team a lot. But they needed to be able to find their own identity. They needed to be able to build their own rapport together as a team. I think we're starting to see that and they've been able to gel together. And I think that's why they're playing basketball at such a high level right now. It's none of this me crap. It's none of it going out there and doing your own thing. Everyone's kind of meshing together. And when individuals can be able to come together, uh, or excuse me, when the team's able to come together, you're going to see individuals start to shine. And that's what we're doing, whether it's Destiny Henderson and just how she's playing the point guard position. And to me, it's very similar to what we saw with Ty Harris, right? But doesn't necessarily need to have the points every night to still make an impact. She's making a lot of great passes. She's having assists, usually six, seven, eight, nine a game. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, Leia Boston do exactly what we thought Boston was going to do this year. You know, she had a little maybe of a slow start at times, but she's been really coming into her own during conference play. And it's just a lot of fun to watch, especially when you have someone like Dawn Staley at the helm and she's going to hold her team accountable. And I think because of the success that Staley has had here, uh, we're starting to see this team do so well because they understand there's an expectation, there's a standard, and they're starting to uphold to it. So uh, we'll see what happens. Win or lose tonight, though, I think you've got to feel good where South Carolina is at right now. Where do you see the longevity of this program going? I mean, obviously all the – all the pieces are going to be back next year. You signed the number one recruiting class. Is, is South Carolina becoming the next UConn? I think so. And I think one of the reasons why is because of Coach Staley. It's very unique. Um, what Gina Wariema uh, was able to do, and you know, no disrespect to Pat Summit, um, but in just trying to look at what's going on in terms of what's the most recent, 
you know, at some point, I think that's going to run its course. And the reason why is because when you look at from a recruiting standpoint, you know, a lot, a lot of players, especially the players that are coming out in terms of the top 100 for recruits, right, for the ESPN 100, a lot of these players can relate to Don Staley, you know, in terms of being uh, uh, black women. That's something that Don, that, that Gina Wariyama, to no fault of his own, he can't necessarily re- relate. Now, he's done, of, of course, incredible things. Um, and, you know, I, I got to witness it firsthand by going to college with his son, Mike Oriama, and hearing all the stories in terms of how his father was able to just create what we know to be just uh, a powerhouse up in UConn. But I think what Don has been able to do, it's very organic. Um, and I think over time, if you're able to sustain that type of success, it's easier when it comes to recruiting. And especially now, because, and the reason why I kind of distance it from Pat Summit, recruiting now in comparison to even 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, it's so different because you have the ability to get film from all over the country. Recruiting, it's tougher sometimes to land people for certain schools. And the reason being that is because the same reason why it becomes easier for South Carolina. You can get anyone anywhere you want across the country. And we've seen that with obviously Clemson football, we've seen with Alabama football. I mean, we can look at other sports as well. So I think more than anything, it starts with Don Staley, just finding players that can mesh together um, and realize just like what UConn was able to do and just like what Tennessee was able to do. We're bringing you in here. You're one of the best of the best. If you don't want to come here, that's fine. We're going to find someone that's just as good as you, if not better. But we need to be able to find players that have that we, not me attitude and can be able to come together because you can have five All-Americans out there. If they can't play basketball all as one, it's going to be nothing. And I know this sounds like some youth basketball or some high school basketball coaches talk, but it's the truth. You can have all the talent in the world. And I hate to say this phrase. It really drives me nuts when I hear people say it, but I'm going to say it now. I'm going to get upset with myself. There's only one basketball. You know, I mean, that's what it comes down to. You need to be able to find ways to co- and, uh, you know, coexist with this, each other and being able to do things um, for the team. And I think Don Staley has been able to do exactly that with the players she's brought in over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's good stuff there. I just want to turn to football now. Uh, you mentioned We Not Me, just kind of thinking about the the culture of the football program the last couple of years. I know uh, Coach Muschamp, I think, kind of let the culture – decline a little bit and now Shane Beamer coming in just how big of a deal and how big of a challenge do you think that will be to manage the locker room culture wise I think it's tough anytime when you have a new coach come in and you know I look back to my own playing days I don't like to do the the old uh, okay I played you know rec basketball or this or that but you know I try to use the experiences from from playing division two football Um, I just remember when we had a new head coach come in you know one of the first things he told us in a meeting is um, you know, trust is a two-way street. Um, you know, we're trying, we're, I'm hoping that I can, um, that, that we can build some trust and, you know, we could trust each other, but, um, I, I need you guys to trust me just as much as uh, I need to trust you. So I think going in there is always, always the toughest thing because even though there's some guys that Beamer's Beamer, not just Beamer, but Jim Beamer's staff has recruited, uh, whether it was the early signing day period or this recent signing day period that just took place or preferred walk-ons, majority of that team are guys that were recruited by Muschamp. And we can go down the rabbit hole and say, okay, well, Beamer looked at guys like Jordan Birch or news at Oklahoma. Yeah, I get it. But at the end of the day, they went to South Carolina. So you need to go in there. you got to be able to build that trust. And if you can build trust, um, everything else kind of just falls into place. But if it doesn't, you know, if there's no trust, you're not going to have anything. So 
Um, I like what Beamer's been able to do in terms of some of the guys that he's brought on staff. Um, and then some of the guys that he's brought on board in terms of preferred walk-ons. I mean, one guy that, you know, for people that have followed me on social media, they know that I've mentioned this guy's name a lot because I did a story on him in the past is Nathan Harris Wainick. And I use him as an example because I'm sure there are other players that coach Beamer has brought in that have, um, similar attitudes as Nathan, but Nathan's the type of player that will go out there, special teams, do whatever you need him to do, and he'll do it with a smile. And that's not to say he can't make an impact one day at running back, but he's the type of guy that can go in there, do everything with a smile, and players see that. You know, it's contagious. And if you can have a player like that, a couple players like that, I mean, that can really make a difference of being able to create that culture, that beautiful word that everyone loves here. You know, well, we got to have this culture back. We need the old South Carolina Gamecock culture. Well, that's how you create the culture. You have guys that buy in to the system. And if they can buy in um, from a coaching standpoint, things become a hell of a lot easier. And then everything, as I said, falls into place. Recruiting, uh, being able to get some of the top guys in the country, being able to get coaches that you think can make a better impact or a, or a stronger impact if other coaches decide to leave over time. So uh, I'm excited to see what the future holds. I think it's going to be a challenge year one, but I don't think it's uh, unrealistic to say that South Carolina could be a team that has six wins. And this is even maybe crazy for some to get seven wins just because when you look at the schedule and I think South Carolina has the ability to be able to build on something special, but it all starts with year one. And we could talk about all the stuff going on in the off season, but nothing matters until we get to the fall and the wins and losses start to count. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that South Carolina could win six or seven games next year. I mean, the first six games, I mean, if you play well, I think you're looking at maybe a five and one start. And so if you, if you can collect a couple of those games after the open date, I think seven and five is is a great uh, measuring stick for the first year. No, no question about it. And I, I think what it comes down to more than anything is outside of, you know, obviously the stuff I talked about with trust and being able to build a rapport and all that. In terms of X's and O's, you need to be able to just execute um, in terms of who you, in terms of who you have, because, I'm confident that Luke Doty is going to be a, a special quarterback. Uh, I think he has the abilities to be able to do that, but we didn't get to see too much out of him last year. And I don't think it's a fair representation of what he can do for the program um, until we actually see some weapons around him. So, you know, receivers, obviously a position that South Carolina uh, struggled with last year um, outside of Shai Smith. And then Nick Muse was able to kind of come into his own. And I think a lot in large part was because he was coming back from an ACL injury and it just probably took him a little bit longer to be able to find that, that comfortability of going out there and not thinking about it. And on top of the fact that you're learning also a new playbook uh, in, in a sense. So um, I, I think more than anything, this team has the ability to be able to take that next step, but what is it going to look like? Because I don't think the offense that we're going to see in year one, is necessarily going to be the same offense that we see year three, year four under Beamer, just because you have to work with what you have. You have to work with uh, the ingredients that are in the in the kitchen. You just can't decide to make, you know, play mignon if you only have a bowl of Cheerios. You know, you got to be able to work with what you have, and hopefully South Carolina will be able to get the results that they're looking for, uh, but you got to work with, uh, you know, the talent. And I think they do have some talent there. It's just like, what is that going to look like from an offensive standpoint more than anything? Um, then, you know, we could talk about defense, but it all starts with offense in terms of getting this thing turned around. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I mean, I, I love the the pieces that he's brought in through the transfer portal at receiver. I mean, you look at a Marion Brown, you add 
uh, the obviously the the two transfers from St. Francis. You had the quarterback Jason Brown and and EJ Jenkins. Do you think that Jason Brown is the type that can come in and it provide? He obviously will provide that depth, but also provide that competition for Luke Doty to be the starting quarterback next year. Oh, no question about it. And from people that I've spoke with, uh, that coach at the FCS level, you know, some of my former teammates that are coaches now, um, they say he's the type of guy that can make NFL type throws. He has the arm strength to be able to do that. The challenging part, and it's kind of like a high school player going to college. And I tell this to, to players, you know, regardless of what level they're at, it's, you know, it's all the same, whether you're going from uh, high school to D1, D2, D3, doesn't matter. The game speed is the biggest thing. So, especially at a position like quarterback, the game speed will be faster for him. Um, you know, go from FCS to go to the SEC, you're going to be going up against guys that have much uh, quicker close, closing speed, you know, at the at corner and safety and linebackers. I mean, we could go defensive and just go across the board. So, you know, number one, how quickly can he adjust to that? How quickly can he pick up the game? And number two, and number two, um, how does what he what he did at the FCS level, how will that kind of transfer over into the SEC? Um, because, you know, we could talk about him having this great arm, but at the same time, too, you know, you're going up against faster and bigger guys. Does it take it away a little bit? And I know that might sound silly, but at the end of the day, you need to be able to um, execute at a high level. And when you when you when you're playing in the SEC, some of those things that you were able to get away with, maybe at the FCS level, you're not going to be able to get away with uh, at this level. So um, I think more than anything, what South Carolina fans should be hoping for, and I know maybe some think that he has a chance to maybe win the position. Um, but I think realistically, I think you got to look at it as just finding someone to be able to create that competition. Uh, I know Colton Gothier is also in the mix now. He just enrolled um, in January. He'll be coming in there. I mean, he just needs to push people. And, um, you know, you need people that will just push each other. And I know Steven Garcia had a chance to talk to Colton. He's like, look, I know you, you and Dodie are friends, but, you know, you really got to push him. You know, when you guys are in the uh, meeting room together or, you know, on the practice field, he's like, you guys need to hate each other. Uh, I don't know if ne- Garcia necessarily wanted me to throw that out there. But, you know, the point being is he just wants people to be able to create that internal competition that was very similar to what it was like when he was there um, and, you know, the relationship that he had with Connor Shaw, was very similar. It's like, look, you know, yeah, we're friends, but when I'm on the field, I want to push you, you know, you're not my friend, you know, uh, because I want you to be as good as you can, because I'm, I want to be able to get your spot. And if I'm trying to get your spot, I'm hoping, Hey, you know, you're trying to make sure that you don't lose your spot. So um, just create that, that internal competition between you know internally uh, in the locker room but internally in, in yourself as well you need to be able to take it to that next level if you want to be able to have some production at that quarterback position yeah I mean I absolutely agree with everything you just said I mean I'm of the belief that competition breed, breeds greatness and with Jason yep. Brown and Luke Doty and Colton Gothier in that quarterback room I think the I think the quarterback room is pretty good for South Carolina in 2021. You mentioned uh, that story you did on Harris Wayne, which I loved it. Thank you so much for doing that. And guys that, and specifically with, with him. And I mean, I've even seen it with Jason Brown, EJ Jenkins and the other guys that have transferred in or that those preferred walk-on spots or guys that want to be at South Carolina. And I think that's huge for Shane Beamer to want to be at South Carolina. I mean, 
I think the key ingredient to winning, especially here, is you got to have guys that want to be here and do more than and do more with less. And I think he's done that. And I think he's hired a great staff that wants to be here as well. Well, you need to be realistic. And this isn't a shot at uh, South Carolina or Beamer or the fan base, but I think you need to be realistic. Um, Historically, South Carolina isn't a Texas. They're not Michigan. They're not Ohio State. They're not Alabama. Um, You're South Carolina. But you know what? Own that. Own that. You have great uh, traditions still despite not being able to have maybe the tradition that uh, some of these bigger schools have had. And I say bigger schools, I mean, you know, um, schools that have had more success because you've, you know, you had a guy, you've had a Heisman trophy when you've produced a lot of NFL talent. Um, you've been able to produce a lot of great players from here. And on top of that, you have a fantastic fan base. You have state of the art facilities right now. You have a lot of things going for you right now. Um, I think you just got to own it. You know, there's going to be times that you're not going to be able to land the big time recruit right now. That's okay. Um, There's a time and place for it. You need to be able to get to that point right now. You got to know who you are. You got to, you got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is who we are. All right. Maybe I don't like what I'm seeing in the mirror, but you know what? This is who I am right now. What do we have to do to improve it? It's kind of like someone that wants to lose weight and they're looking in the mirror and they're like, you know, grabbing their fat or whatever. And they're like, man, I want to be able to get that six pack. All right. I want to be like that guy that's, you know, walking around with all the girls on both of his sides. Right. In order to get there, though, you need to start small and you're not going to see the results overnight. If you go to the gym and you run a mile or two miles or whatever, you're not going to see it in the first week. You're not going to see it in the first two weeks. Right. You're going to see progression gradually it's the same thing uh, that South Carolina needs to to take the approach about you just need to realize it's not going to happen overnight but if you're consistent with it if you hammer away something good will happen Um, and I think that's the approach that not just Gamecock uh, players and coaches need to have but I think the fan base needs to have too you need to be realistic in terms of where you are and who you are right now yeah I mean I've I've told people this um, from the minute that Coach Beamer got hired and even before and even the staff that he's hired, that if you have guys that, that want to be here, maybe they're not the the sexiest names, maybe they're not the most proven coaches at the time, but it is a big risk, but it has the potential for tremendous reward. Oh, no question about it. And, and I'm excited just to see – you know, what this, uh, what this, 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 this blueprint that Beamer has right now, because he comes in, you know, kind of like a, like a construction work, kind of laying things out. Um, and he's just figured out, okay, what do we have to do? What's the first move? Okay. What's the second move? What is the move for next year, two years from now, three years from now, because he can go in front of the camera and he might not necessarily say, that's what he's thinking. You know, we're thinking more so now, and but they're thinking ahead. I mean, every college coach does. So um, he has a plan in place, you know, just like Mike Tyson would always say in boxing, everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the face. So things can change uh, based on how things go for them. But at the same time, too, I think he's going to try to stay as true to that blueprint as possible, especially in the first couple of years and kind of just see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I agree. How do you think, uh, Coach Beamer's handled all the the staff turnover. Obviously, he gets there and obviously, you know, lets go a bunch of the staff and then keeps, you know, Mike Bobo, Des Kitchens, Tracy Rocker, Mike Peterson, and they are 
and three out of those four are not on the staff anymore. And Des Kitchens, Mike Bobo, and Tracy Rocker. So, and he's also dealt with you know hiring Will Friend and you yeah. know him him leaving with Bobo to Auburn. Just how do you think Coach Beamer's handled like all this turnover that he's had so far? I think he's handled it the best he can. And I think if there's anything that Gamecock fans can take away from this that is positive is that regardless of how this season goes, despite all the added challenges, we could talk about COVID, we could talk about all the coaches leaving, um, is that Beamer, who's in his first head coaching job, will walk away with more experience so that if thing like this ever happens again, he will be better off for it. You know, you got to try to find some positives. You got to look at the glass half full. So I think with that being said, um, I think being able to bring some of these guys in here, and I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew everything about every coach that that they've brought in this year, uh, especially some of these more recent coaches um, that weren't on the radar necessarily until a couple weeks ago, even though Beamer may have had some type of conversation with them back in December or even leading up to being officially hired, knowing he's like, you know, this is going to happen for me. But I, I like what he's done. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Bobby Bentley because I've always said Bobby Bentley, kind of like a baseball player, he was Mr. Utility. You can kind of plug him in anywhere. You know, coach tight ends, coach running backs. He also had a chance to coach quarterbacks. People forget that. He had a chance to coach quarterbacks in that Outback Bowl um against Michigan so you know he was a guy that you could plug in anywhere and on top of that he just knew the area so well because of his times coaching at Burns you know from the high school standpoint so from a recruiting standpoint he just knew the landscape um so he's not here now so who's the next guy in place well I guess the best comparison would be the guy that is taking over his position which would be Eric Kimry right? Very similar in a lot of ways, right? He could coach multiple position. He's a former Gamecock quarterback. He understands how the offense is supposed to look. If he had to coach other positions, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think Kimry would do uh, quite well. And on top of that, he knows the area, right? He has two guys right now uh, that are former Skyhawks playing on the defensive side of the football that he coached. So Kimry to me, I mean, it's and I, I want to you know be fair to Bobby Bentley because I thought he did a tremendous job, and we're going to have to see how Kimry does in terms of recruiting and in terms of coaching. But I feel like that's a that's a that's a pretty even trade, or it should look like an even trade when you look back a couple of years from now. Um, and then just you know just looking across the board, I mean, look, the Bobo situation with Will Friend um, that would have been a positive just because of the relationship that those two had, and that's one of the main reasons why they both left for Auburn, not just one of them. Um, just because it gets you ahead of the eight ball a little bit when you're behind in terms of having that relationship and that rapport already with uh, the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach. They have an idea of like, all right, we work together. We understand how this guy thinks. It'll make things a little bit easier. Um, so that means I'd be lying if I said that that doesn't hurt South Carolina a little bit, but that's nothing that they can't overcome, especially knowing the fact that spring football is not starting till March 20th. So they have a lot of time. Um, and have had a lot of time until they go out there for practice number one. So they should be ready to go and be able to do whatever they can in terms of being able to pick up this offense as quick as you can so that once we get over to fall camp, uh, you're not wasting any time and you're able to just get things moving like a, you know, like a locomotive. Awesome stuff. Just want to hit the uh, offensive defensive staffs uh, individually, and then we'll move on to a couple other topics before I let you go. Just want to get your thoughts on the offensive staff. Uh, as a whole, obviously, you look at Marcus Satterfield and 
offensive line coach Greg Adkins, and then you bring in Justin Stepp, be the wide receivers coach. Obviously, you mentioned Eric Camry, and then you bring in Ontario Hardesty to be the running backs coach. Which I remember watching him play when he was in when he was at Tennessee. I hadn't followed his coaching career too closely since then. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the offensive staff. I like it. I like what we have with Justin Stepp because kind of like I mentioned before with Kimry, I mean, here's a guy that also knows this area quite well. And I think this is something that Beamer really wants to emphasize on. He wants to be able to uh, win in-state recruiting again. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we know the talent here. The challenging part is if you go back, and I wish I had the stat in front of me, if you go back and look at the number of four and five star recruits um, the state of South Carolina had during that time period with Clowney and, you know, Gilmore, and you go back during that period, I mean, you can even look at people that went to Clemson. The guys that, uh, you know, the number of five star recruits in the ESPN top 100, um, there really hasn't been as many now in comparison to back then. And that's just something that just hasn't been talked about a lot. Beamer was here during this fantastic run of being able to get in-state guys here. That's great. The talent, though, as good as South Carolina's talent has been, and I've never really been one that gets too caught up with the fives and four stars and this and that. I mean, I'm not – I think some of that stuff is silly because – it all depends in terms of when a player was starting to really get on the get get on the spotlight, you know, get, get in the spotlight uh, because some players blossom a little bit later than others in high school. But with that all being said, um, trying to be able to replicate that is going to be difficult uh, right now. It's just something that we haven't seen in quite some time because just this state has looked a little bit different in comparison to what it was looking like back then. Yeah, I agree. Just wanted yeah. to – just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on the defensive staff real quick. Uh, obviously, Clayton White, defensive coordinator, and then Jimmy Lindsey, Mike Peterson, Torian Gray, and then we'll uh, throw in uh, Pete Limbo there too, the assistant head coach, D- special teams coordinator. Well, I'll just mention uh, just two of the guys real quick. I mean, the thing with with uh, Gray being able to have that experience with a guy like DJ Swearinger, he understands what South Carolina is all about. He's going to uh, try to bring that same type of mentality just because he – Coach the guy likes wearing uh, with with Washington and a guy like Lindsey. What I like about Lindsey is is you know kind of kind of has like this silent assassin kind of just like look and feel to him. Uh, being able to you know coach at Illinois State and um, being able to to work with uh, Lovey Smith of minds, not just in you know college football but in the NFL. I think he has a lot of knowledge and he's a young and up and coming coach. So I think he can bring a lot to the table. Um, and the guy like Pete Limbo, I mean, God, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like between him and a Beamer in the same room. And then just throw Frank Beamer coming down maybe after he goes golfing a couple of times, because he's going to love being down in this area again. Um, I think special teams is so underrated and it's been an area that we saw last year with South Carolina. It, it take a hit, especially that LSU game. So, um, if you can make an impact in special teams, um, whether it's, you know, in the kicking game or just the return game in general, being able to make things easier for yourself, um, being able to put yourself in a better position so you don't have to go necessarily 75, 80 yards every drive. You can get get the ball closer to the 40 each time. You know, the percent goes up of the probability of being able to score points. So uh, I'm excited, and, you know, we'll see uh, Beamer ball 
Beamer Ball 2.0 hopefully be able to come to Columbia. Yeah, I agree. We talk about Pete Limbo. That's the first thing I thought of with special teams and Beamer Ball. Just want to switch to a couple other topics, non-Gamecock related, before I let you go. Obviously, the Super Bowl, Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl. I know you're a big Northeast guy. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that and the thought of him coming back next year. I didn't didn't notice this at first. I looked it up today, but the Bucks actually go to Foxborough next year to play the Patriots. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that reunion between Brady and Belichick next year. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, to to have seven rings, to have more rings as an individual than any franchise has um, in NFL history is just bananas. Um, And to do it at the level that he's done it for, as long as he's done it for, um, is just absolutely incredible. And look, you know, the Tiger Woods, the, you know, the Williams sisters of the world, I'm not going to compare any team sport athlete to an individual, um, individual sport athlete. Um, but I think what you've seen from Tom Brady, it's very difficult, not just to say that he's not the greatest football player of all time, but one of the greatest, if not the greatest athletes of all time in terms of North American team sports, just because of the success that he's sustained for such a long period of time and how consistent that he's been. Um, it's just, it's insane. And the wild thing is we're sitting here, we're talking about that. He's not done yet. He could easily, if, if someone gave you money and they said, Hey, look, uh, I'll give you some money. You have to bet on this. Over or under, Tom Brady finishes his career at seven and a half rings. I, it'd be tough for me right now not to take the over, uh, just because I just he's not showing any stop. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to repeat because no team has been able to repeat since the Patriots eras, which, oh, by the way, Tom Brady was the quarterback for that too. Uh, but for next year, uh, look, I don't know what Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick has up his sleeves, but I can tell you now after watching last night, whether he watched it or, you know, he got a walkie-talkie uh, and his girlfriend, Linda Holiday was giving him updates or, you know, he read it in the newspaper today, getting some, you know, ink underneath his finger, I, I, fingernails. I don't know. But I can tell you this, that man is going to be more motivated than ever before. And if you're a Patriots fan, that should excite you. Um, outside of the fact, if you're, if you're happy for Tom, that should excite you knowing that Brady won a Super Bowl because Belichick is going to be more motivated now than ever before. And um, I don't know, maybe that game is going to be in November. That's just one of my guesses. It could be the opening game of the season, you know, because the Bucks, uh, excuse me, the Bucks will be playing at home, so it won't be the opening game of the season. But it could be towards the uh, beginning of the season next year, um, whether it's in September, October, November, December, whatever it is, uh, you could bet that it's going to be uh, electric, especially if they're able to let fans back into that stadium because uh, I don't think you'll hear boos. I think there'll be a lot of cheers for Tom. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there'll be a lot of cheers uh, myself. And I would honestly take the over on seven and a half as well, especially with that Bucks defense. I mean, Todd, yep. Bull, Todd Bowles, he, what a job he did this year with that defense. I mean, their defense had always been, you know, good the last couple of years. And it just seemed like adding that kind of alpha male and Tom Brady's what set them over the edge. No, it was, uh, it was something special to watch. And I think some people want to just – discredit Brady altogether but let's not forget this was a man like I said 43 years old threw for over 40 touchdown passes was able to play sensational football in that first half and uh not just the first half but I mean he didn't turn the ball over at all you know um I said it going into this game after that Packers game I said the thing about Brady is when he makes mistakes 
you could bet the next week he probably will not make any mistakes uh, just because he'll make damn sure that he's not going to make those mistakes, especially those same mistakes. So, um, you know, Brady did what he had to do, but the defense, I mean, you can't say enough. But I, I think more than anything, though, is when you have a guy like Brady, we talk about culture with the Gamecocks, when you have a guy like Brady at quarterback, it gives you this winning attitude culture. And I think it's contagious when it comes to being on the defensive side of the ball because you know, hey, if we do our job, that man over there, that guy wearing 12 on the other side of the football, you know, for us, he's going to do his job. And it just be, it builds up um, this this confidence in the team. And we have saw that with New England for, for two-plus decades, and now we're seeing that uh, in Tampa right now in year one with Brady, which is just wild to even think about. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you're running out of words to be able to describe how good Tom Brady is and Tom Brady's running out of fingers to put championship rings on. I mean, that's just where we're at right now. <laughs> that's good stuff. All right, Mike, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about hashtag the Yuva. I know you, <laughs> I know you risked it for the biscuit there at Bojangles. Just talked about, talk about that biscuit and, Obviously, you've gotten a lot of feedback on it, and uh, just talk about your relationship with Bojangles since then. It's been a fun journey. Um, a simple mistake, you know, falls into my lap, literally, and uh, it, it's gone viral um, in a lot of ways. I mean, nine different states have uh, have purchased this 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 biscuit biscuit sandwich, whatever you want to call it. I'm calling it a biscuit, um, and. You know, this is what, almost three or four weeks ago, and it just keeps going. And, you know, there's some exciting stuff that we're going to be sharing with about, about Boba Jangles, with Bo Jangles, um, hopefully in the next coming days. So uh, very excited to be able to share that news and uh, some personal news I'll be sharing, too. I'm not going anywhere, but some personal news I'll be sharing as well later this month, hopefully. So um, a lot of good stuff going on here. Definitely looking forward to that. I know I'm – I don't know if I'm going to try the Yuva or not. I'm a little bit concerned about the pimento cheese. Live a little. Will you live a little? Come on. <laughs> I think I I think I could do the Bowberry biscuit with maybe an egg and the Cajun fillet. Uh, in the Cajun fillet there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about the pimento cheese. I'm not really a big pimento cheese guy, but but I'll try it for you. How's that? That's good. I'll tell you this, right? And I think that's been kind of the thing I've been told. You know, some people don't like pimento cheese, which I, I, I thought it was like a law in South Carolina that everyone had to. I mean, you know, I'm just a Boston guy. I don't know better. Uh, but I will say this. It makes absolutely no sense of why it tastes as good as it does. You know, we'll get some food connoisseurs be like, oh, the sweet savory. It's like, all right, put all those those descriptions aside. Just looking at the thing and just listening to the ingredients, it makes no sense uh, but you take a bite of that thing and it is, uh, it's life. Yes. I've had people at the station who did not want to try it at all. They brought one in for them and they keep going back and buying them every other day. So, you know, we're, we're building this little army of uh, people that like this biscuit. Hey, I mean, I got a feeling that, that once I try it, I'm, I may have to, may have to get about five or six more of those. There we go. <laughs> Mike, I can't, can't thank you so much for joining me. I know, You've been busy covering all the sports that you do. You're a pro's pro, my friend. Tell everybody how they can follow you on social media and what you got coming up there at Watch Fox 57 in Columbia. Well, I appreciate it, Bennett. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore UVA. Um, people that don't follow me, we're very interactive. So you want to say something, shoot a message my way, try to get back to you. Um, and then you can catch us, you know, Monday through Friday, Sports Zone, but we also on Sunday nights. 
minute sports show. Most sports coverage you'll find anywhere else in the that anywhere else in the Midlands. Uh, Ten forty five on Sunday night. So be sure to tune in. We'll get you caught up on every sport that you can imagine that has an impact here in South Carolina. All right, good stuff, Mike. Just a reminder: if you do try the biscuit, if you do try the Yuba, make sure you tag Mike on Twitter at hashtag the Yuba, and I'm sure he'll be glad to to oh, like man. that for you. I Mike, appreciate that. Mike, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking with you down the road. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. That's Mike Yuva of Watch Fox 57 in Columbia, South Carolina. And he is the creator of hashtag the Yuva, famous biscuit from Bojangles. So if you do try the Yuva, make sure you post it on Twitter and tag Mike in there. All right, it is time to get out of here. Just wanted to tell you a quick reminder. If you have not seen the first four episodes of Crunch Time Plays, I want to make sure that you go back and listen to those. Some great content. we got AuburnUndercover.com's Nathan King. We've got former North Carolina basketball coach Matt Doherty. He's the author of the new book, Rebound from Pain to Passion. Third episode features John Shipley. From Jaguar Report of the SI.com Fan Nation Network. And the fourth episode is college football extraordinaire Josh Pate from 247 Sports. He is the host of the Late Kick and the Late Kick Pod. So make sure to follow Josh as well and check out the 247 Sports YouTube channel. Y'all are the best audience in the world. Thank you so much for listening. Follow me on Twitter at Shotgun726. Follow Crunch Time Plays on Twitter at Plays Crunch. And make sure if you're listening to us on an Apple Podcast, you leave us a five-star review. We're going to try to do a little giveaway. So if you don't mind leaving us a five-star review, you could be chosen for some Crunch Time Plays swag. God bless everybody. I'm out of here. <laughs>